0: All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Get into this book, this new book. Looking forward to it. When Paul uh, went to Thessalonica, he had a few guys with him, but he was only there, as far as we can tell, for three weeks. That's a pretty short time to plant a church. And we'll read about that here in a little bit, but... Um, the depth he must have gone into in his teaching to them, the intensity, um, well, probably, probably puts me to shame, you know. Uh, and I'm not afraid to say that. Because, um, I mean, he gets into what we call eschatology. He, he gets into end time stuff, when Jesus is returning, when he's first coming, second coming, you know, rapture, all these things. And he did that in three weeks in the New Believers Bible study. And you were graduated after three Saturdays. And the church was started and you were on your own. And here's, here's what I think is, for me, um, the most important part. Paul, we talk about discipleship a lot. It doesn't take that much discipleship to get someone going with Jesus. And once you leave them into Jesus' hands and you believe in the Holy Spirit to be the teacher and the guide and that they have everything they have in the Holy Spirit, in their relationship with Jesus, you can walk away and they'll be fine. They may have some questions, which is the point of this letter, a little bit later on, some doctrinal things that they're not quite sure about, and that's what this letter is, is simply to clear up a few matters, but it's only four chapters long. That's his follow-up. You know? And I appreciate that. With God's Word and the Holy Spirit, we are really in good hands. It's only when false teachers come in or those that try to deceive, that's when it trips us up. And that's what happens here. That's what happens everywhere Paul goes. It's, it's, it's hard. You, you remember the parable about the farmer goes out to sow, and he sows this beautiful field, and the enemy comes at night and plants tares among the wheat. Now, I know there's more to it than that in that parable, but the the field would have been fine if it was just left alone, but the enemy comes in and sows tares, which are indistinguishable until harvest time between the wheat and the weed. You can't tell the difference. And so everywhere Paul went, he's scattering this beautiful, perfect seed. It germinates. It begins to grow. It's going to bear fruit. But there was always these folks that just felt the need to come in behind Paul and begin to plant weed seeds that were worthless and would sometimes even choke out the good seed. And so that's what this letter is all about. Paul's heard some things, some questions they may be having. I mean, they're they're going like gangbusters. Good for them. They're, they're so on fire for the Lord that wherever Paul goes, he hears about these Thessalonican, you know, um, people that have come to know the Lord because of the testimony that these Thessalonians have given. And he's so excited about their, their health. What a healthy church when they begin to spread the gospel on their own, you know. Um, they don't send them to Paul. <laughs> they, they lead people to Christ. And they, it grows in multiplication, not just in addition Well, here's some things that they've got some things wrong or some questions about some things. So he's going to take four chapters here to try to clear up some things and maybe hone in on some and focus on some doctrinal issues, which we get the benefit of that. Now, Paul does start off with a good group of folks in synagogue. So they've been there their whole lives. So they have a really good grasp of the Old Testament. That helps. They're not going into a Gentile territory cold and saying, hey, you know, there's this God, Genesis 1.1. They've got all that. They're just talking about the Messiah and how Jesus fulfills the role of the Messiah. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be disillusioned here. They're not starting off like there is a God. They're starting off with Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah. So it took three weeks for that. And to fill in some how to live now. What does that mean? Not much changes. You want to live for God like you did before, except he's the fulfillment of all the law. So therefore, there's a lot more freedom um, and liberty and grace and mercy and so on. So that's what he focused on. So as we get into this, you'll at least have that understanding. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's twice he says, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is the title. Jesus is his name and Christ is the fulfillment. It means Messiah in the Greek. The Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And so when um, we understand it's not his first, middle, and last name, but Lord is the title. And it's very important that we understand that Jesus needs to be Lord. Uh, Paul makes no. We, we like him to be our friend, we understand that he's our father, we understand that he's an advocate. We have lots of different titles. He carries lots of different titles. But the one that's most important to us is he needs to be Lord. It means I submit to him. It means I listen to him. I do what he tells me to do. I, I, I change. I, I'm his bond servant. I, he's my Lord. And so Paul says, He's our Lord, He's your Lord. But the word that focus, I focused on the most, I think, when I was first studying here is in. And I even sent out a, a Facebook post about that. I try to do a little bit here and there, try to reach out a little bit. Um, but how, how close God wants us to be. I, I, I saw someone somewhere, and I, I don't mean to put up straw men, I just hate to throw people under the bus by name. But there's nowhere in the Bible does it say you ask Jesus into your heart. Well, it kind of does. And I gave you some verses that says that. And I don't know why we as Christians need to pick on simple things like that. Better not teach people to ask Jesus into their heart. That's your biggest concern in this world? As I look around, we've got a lot of things we could be focusing on, and that's the least of our concern. But let me give you some scriptures to show you that well, maybe it doesn't say those exact words, but it's awfully close. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now the person would say, well, with, not in. All right. Colossians 1, 27, To them God willed to make known that are the what are the riches of the glory of Of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, it sounds like he's awfully in. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So now he's in our minds. He's given us a new brain. We're thinking correctly now. And then finally, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What's wrong with saying, Jesus, come into my heart? I bet he understands what we mean. And I don't think that should be a focus at all. And I just bring that up because we get so distracted sometimes. Let's focus on satan and and the enemy (laughs) let's focus on the flesh and the enemy there and the world and the enemy and and let's fight there let's put all that energy into what's really trying to destroy this world it isn't asking jesus into your heart i think that's a good thing and so we hear see here in thessalonians here that paul says the church of the thessalonians in god not only is he in us but we're in him and he he makes that statement a couple times in the New Testament. I'm in him, and he's in me, and and all this it's, we become. It's amazing. We're, we're the temple, and 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 he's the the Lord of our temple. And he he makes his home in us, and it, 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 we're the. It, it's beautiful. I don't know why you'd ever want to take away from that. So Paul starts off with that. That's his greeting. You know. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has come in and has already tried to take the grace that they've received. They've already tried to steal the peace that they have in God. And he wants them to know you're in God. You're in him. You're safe. There's no safer place to be than to know that you're in Christ, that you're in God. Who can mess with you then? I mean, we can feel unsettled. Maybe we can feel discouraged and all those things can come and go. But my salvation, my hope, my trust, my rest, it's all there. It's all there in him. And Paul just starts off. If you read any verses here, read this first one and you should be okay. I want you to know that. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, we walked the walk. You could see what it looked like. You could see where we were from. We weren't afraid to tell you of the kind of people we were before Christ, and we're not afraid to show you the kind of people we are now after Christ. I don't think Paul ever reveled or rejoiced or boasted about his sin before coming to Christ, but he did confess it to people to let them know. He wasn't afraid to let that be a part of his testimony. He's not embarrassed. He's not too prideful to say I was the worst of the worst and I've become something that Christ has made me and gives all glory to Jesus for what's happened to him, how he's different. People need to see that in us. They need to see where God took us and, and, they may accept it, they may not, they may want it, they may not, but my job, my role, my calling, my ministry is to let people know here's where I was and here's what I've become and I, it's all because I met Jesus. It's all because I asked Jesus into my heart. It's all because, however you want to word it, Christ, Christ inserted himself into my life and I've been different ever since. Paul says, I always thank God for you, making mention of you in our prayers. I bet he did. I bet he probably prayed harder for that church than about any other church. I had three Saturdays with you. Oh, God, protect those little children, you know, because he loved them so much. I hate to leave you guys like this. I hate to leave you not vulnerable. I know you're in God's hands. I know you have the Holy Spirit, but I also know who comes in behind me, and I pray for you. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. If you want to do follow-up with someone you've led to the Lord, pray for them earnestly, without ceasing, and with intensity. That's the most important thing we can do is to pray for them. I don't know how it works or why it works. I mean, that's, that's the, well, doesn't God know he needs to watch out for them? Am I there to remind them? Hey, by the way, don't forget the Thessalonians. No, of course not. But we're called to pray for each other, and, to pray, and it works. We, he connects us somehow, and I don't mean to get weird here. Try not to. He does. I mean, because I have the mind of Christ, because like, I have the new heart, the fleshy heart that God said he's going to give me, and because we have the Holy Spirit, when I pray, it affects people. It just does. I'm not saying I have some magical powers. I'm saying because I'm praying the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me, that just something happens there. Up or down I don't care maybe it's not straight across maybe it's up and through I don't know the I don't know the channel how it works I just know that when we pray for each other we feel it I know I feel it I know I can tell when people are praying for me I just can and I appreciate it I don't know who it is he doesn't give me the names but i do I'm, I'm very thankful for it I make mention of you in my prayers. Now, why does he tell them that? Do they need to know? I think they do. I think that's important to know that we're praying for one another. We're supposed to be in a closet. Yeah. But I bet they appreciated the fact that Paul was praying for them. You know, we get caught up with so many different things. I think sometimes I got to pray in secret and I can't let anybody know that I'm praying for him. Cause God Bible says to pray in my closet. Oh no. They found out I was praying for them. That's Okay. You know, we can lighten up a little bit. It just meant don't be boastful. I, I don't want to stand here and, 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 you know, oh, God help Mick and Carolyn. And I want everybody to see me praying for Mick and Carolyn. Well, that we want to avoid, you know. We, we want to do that in secret, in private, you know. We, want to, we don't want to do it to be seen. But if, if they found out that I was praying for them, that's okay. It's encouraging. I remember you without ceasing to pray for you. Your work of faith. What a a blessing. They're already working. I mean, my goodness. They're working out their faith. They're working for it. No, it's a work of faith. Their labor of love and patience of hope. They're just waiting. In fact, he's heard so much about their waiting that they were concerned. And we're going to get into that here. The Thessalonians had it's been a while since Paul's been there. He said Jesus was coming back. Some of their congregants, parishioners, whatever you want to call them, folks that received Jesus at their church, have died. And they're like, oh, no, Bob missed Jesus. He's like, no, I appreciate that it means that much to you. And you're that concerned about Bob. And you're really worried about these things. But let me straighten this out. Bob's with the Lord, is what he's going to say at the end. Bob's already with God. You've got to wait. But when Bob died, he went right to heaven. There is no, and he he makes a point of that. To bring that up. Hey, someone got confused and thought that when you died, you had to wait somewhere to get to heaven, which you don't. It's instant. Close your eyes here. You open your eyes there. It's okay. So that patience of hope, keep waiting, keep laboring, keep working, keep walking your walk. He says, because I see it and I'm praying for you. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Know that you've been chosen. Know that you've been accepted by the Lord. That he's placed you on his heart. That election. It's a beautiful thing. For our gospel did not come to you, didn't, in word only. That's very important. I think the same group that gets election messed up also messes up the second part of this. It's amazing you can get both things wrong in this one section. There is no Holy Spirit, and you have no choice. What? That doesn't make any sense. Because Paul makes it clear. I came in the power of the Holy Spirit, in, in, in working of the Holy Spirit, in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. There was amazing works of the Holy Spirit as Paul was ministering there. Proof, evidence. People were getting born again. They were were receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior, asking Jesus into their heart, and lives were being changed and transformed. And that's the that's the that's the most telling sign of someone who's born again. It it isn't it isn't a gift necessarily of of the Holy Spirit that's the telling sign of a born-again believer. That may happen and will. I believe everybody has gifts of the Holy Spirit and should exercise them. The most telling sign of a born-again believer or someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit is a changed life and the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. They're different people. That's what Paul was saying. We, we showed you what kind of men we were. I, I, I wasn't a loving, kind, uh, gentle, long-suffering, patient. I wasn't that. Now I am, you know. And we saw that happen in you. And we're so excited for that. If you turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, this is the moment in the history of the church, which is what the book of Acts is about, the beginning of the church. When they came, when this group of men came to Thessalonica to begin this ministry. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas, but... The Jews, who were not persuaded, became, are becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacking the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren of the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things. So, when they had taken uh, security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. In other words, they were let out on bond, basically. <laughs> then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews and began their ministry there, obviously. The Brians were more fair-minded. We can read that on your own. That's the beginning of the church. They turned the entire the city of Thessalonica upside down, they said, right side up, we'd say. But they were changed by it. We were fine until you got here. The Jews stayed over there. The Greeks were over there. We all had our jobs. We all knew what we were supposed to do. And this Paul comes in and mentions this one guy's name and says, he's the new king, King Jesus. And everybody's different and changed. And they didn't like it. They lost their power. They lost their influence. They lost their money. And that bothered them. So they grabbed some ruffians from the never even darkened the door of a synagogue, probably got some rent-a-thugs and brought them out and got the whole group going, you know, just to stop this. It's amazing what people, I I think that's one of the most telling signs of what side someone is on is who their friends are, who their allies are. That's concerning to me. You know, when you see different groups that used to absolutely hate each other, all of a sudden become buddy-buddy, it's like, hmm. I think you're on the wrong team if you think they're a part of your team. So when you go out to these rena thugs and those are the ones you're going to use to stir up the crowd, um, your heart is wrong. If God is on your side, like Gamaliel said, if God is, on, if God is for them, who can be against them, basically? And that's not the exact words he used, but he says, otherwise you're going to find yourself fighting against God if these men are of God. If it's not, it'll come to nothing, he said. When you have to go out and do that, get some thugs, you know you're in the wrong place. Three Saturdays and off they went with that kind of persecution. I mean, (laughs) have a good church. Sorry, Jason's in prison out on bond. I'm sure it'll all work out, you know. Sometimes persecution is some of the best things that can happen to us. It gets us thinking right. It polarizes us, you know. In a world that's so upset about the division that's taking place, I see a lot of Christians getting a little more Christian. I know that's the wrong way to put it. I don't know how else to say it. It's as if the darkness is getting so dark and so terrifying and so real and so not hidden anymore, they're moving towards Christ because they know I do not want to be on that side over there. It's polarizing for sure, but I see people darkening the door of churches they never used to. They're, they're making decisions, and boy, when they make that decision one way or the other, they go headlong into it, you know. Some of the neatest things have happened here. Now, And these believers, under this extreme persecution that Satan thought was going to squash this movement of God, actually fans the flames. That's all it does. It causes them to want to share the gospel even more. And Paul's hearing about this. It's wonderful. Hearing about their faith. Verse six. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, fruit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. We're hearing the gospel being preached from you. We're hearing fruit stories, you know, from all these things that you've done. Uh, some, some get troubled by this, and, and I don't know why we, we would. I think it's, it's another thing we get stuck on is, I, I don't, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Well, okay, of course, of course. But here's some verses to maybe help us to lighten up a little bit on that. Because he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. You don't worship Paul, but you do see him as a father in the faith and that he's walked the walk. And and that's why blaze a new trail. I can follow. I can follow in the. That's a good way to go. Paul's blazing a trail. You know, in First Corinthians, chapter four, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Pretty bold thing. First Corinthians eleven one, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. That's the point. Don't be Paul, but be Jesus in Paul. Hebrews six chapter eleven through chapter six verses eleven through twelve, and we desire that each one of you show some diligence to the full assurance of a hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's just a good check. I know some very faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I need to check, is my path similar to theirs at least? I know he's got different ministries, different callings on our life. But am I holy like they're holy? Am I walking with the Lord like they did? You know? 3 John, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good? He who does good is of God, but he who does evil Has not seen God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, just don't imitate evil. Imitate good. Well, it's not in my heart yet. I just don't feel like I have a heart to do good. Fine, then just fake it. I I don't mean it that way. But if you've got a choice to make between evil and good, and your heart's not in it, I'll give you an example forgiveness. I don't care. Don't be evil and don't forgive. Just forgive them. Your heart will follow. Imitate the Lord. Imitate the, the right thing to do. I don't want to read my Bible. Read it anyway. I don't feel like it. it. doesn't make any difference at all whether you feel like reading the Bible or not. That has nothing to do with it. Feelings have no part to play in what I do as far as walking with Jesus. I do it because I'm obedient to him. Now, I'd like it to be because it's just a natural course for me. But my natural course without any discipline and without checking myself, without prayer and without without discipline, is to go into sin again. If I stop going to church, stop reading my Bible and stop praying because I didn't feel like it that day, I know where I would be. I walk away from holiness. I walk away from obedience. I walk away from God. My natural tendency is to follow after the flesh. Imitate. It just takes doing. I think that's what James was frustrated with. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. You need to be doers. And I'm not telling you, I'm not chewing you out. I, I'm just saying I, I, we all have to understand that about ourselves. And I think if you're honest about yourselves and honest about what the scriptures teach us about ourselves is my default is Sin. It's Christ in me that causes me. There's the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's me doing what's not my natural sin nature and, and following this new heart, this new mind that I have, that Christ has given me. And I have a choice. And we all do. I can go after the flesh. Or I can go after the spirit. And when I choose to go after the flesh, that's a choice for sure. Imitate. I'm glad you became followers of us. As we walk with the Lord, you were walking right behind us. And, and I hope there's a lot of people behind every one of us following us. And maybe that's a more responsibility than we'd ever want. But if you've got kids, they're following you. And where you lead them is where they'll go. Now, hopefully, if you lead them in the wrong place, those kids will make a personal decision for Jesus Christ and go on a different path other than the one you've led them on. But it doesn't need to be like that. We can all be on the same path, and they can be imitators and followers of you. I think that's good. should be. I'm glad you followed us, Paul says. You received the word. That's the first part. They're not skeptical. They're not wondering. They received it, and they received it in the middle of affliction, persecution. And they did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're actually, he's writing about, living out something we're going to learn in other epistles, that even though it's difficult and hard and not popular, you can still have joy. The joy of the Lord is not dependent upon my situation or my circumstances. That's just there. And Paul says, even in the middle of the persecution, leaving synagogue, going after Jason, your leader now, he's he's out on bond. You still have the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you may become examples to all Macedonian and who believe. Now Macedonian and is following this three-week-old. I know they're older than that, but the Thessalonians, believers there, Achaia is saying, "I want to be like them." They're following them. Neat. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. It's spreading like wildfire. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Wouldn't that be great? I hear, I see all these things. If if America was gonna receive a letter from Paul or they'd, you know, well, first of all, if it's hard to lump everybody in America into the one group. I'm I'm sure we deserve a letter, but the people that aren't following the letters that are already written aren't going to read the new letter that's coming from Paul. I just, I don't know. I don't need to say anything to you because your faith has gone out. Could Paul say that about me? Can he say that about any of us in this room? It's a valid question. Your faith goes before you. It's what you're known for. When people mention your name, faith follows it. That person, fill in the gap or fill in your name, is a believer in Jesus Christ. It should be. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's getting them ready for what he's about to teach them. But he wants to let them know, I've heard all these things. I'm not chewing you out. I'm just, that's what Paul's saying. I'm so excited to just send you a little bit of encouragement and a little more doctrinal tweaking is all it is. But your testimony as a church has gone out. It's amazing what's happened. It's amazing what we hear. It's amazing the fruit that's coming from here. That's some of the, um, that's the beauty of new believers in a church. They don't know their limits. (laughs) They They haven't been shut down a lot, you know? And I'm just kidding. I think even seasoned saints or older believers just know we just keep going on. We just, keep, we just keep living it. We keep talking it. We keep doing it. And we've learned that we leave a wake of blessing in our path, in our life. That's what we do. It doesn't matter whether people are, the boats are rocked behind us. We just, we just leave a, a wake of a blessing of Jesus, of a walk with the Lord. We just keep motoring on. It's nice when new believers come in because they're like little zippy speedboats. You know, <laughs> appreciate that. I'm more like kind of a tug, I think, at my age, you know, jug-a jug-a jug-a. I could shove a ship, though, if I need to. <laughs> it's a blessing to have that well-rounded, healthy church, new believers, old-seasoned saints. And Paul says, it's just beautiful what I'm seeing in you and what's happening to you. It's a little early to shut down, but I didn't think we could tackle all of chapter 2 tonight. So I'm going to let it be short, if that's okay. Um, Paul's heart for this church is, he's going to later on in chapter 2, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit, only because I've got so much time. Um, He calls himself a mother who cherishes his own children. And then later on in that same chapter, he says, I'm like a father. He just feels such a, a parental responsibility for these new believers. And, you know, he doesn't leave them and forget them. He prays for them, but he also knows he can't baby them. He's got to let them grow. But he's also there for them when, when they need him. And, but his burden for them, and as a parent who's watching, I've got some kids at home, and I've got a lot of kids gone, and I've got grandkids coming, and I've got one getting married at the end of this month, at the beginning of next month. Which is a horrible experience, just so everybody knows. Getting rid of the boys, that was no problem at all. I've been training them, the girls, that's a different story. I don't know, who invented the father's first look at his daughter when she's... a, it's a horrible experience. That being said, here you go, you can have her, and I can't interfere. But I'm here if you need me, but I'm not interfering. I'm going to let you grow... Yeah, I don't want you to fall, but I know you have to skin your knee once in a while, and that's how you feel, okay? Constantly, constantly. And you can see that in Paul's heart for this church. He's like, ah, you're doing great, but just to, just want to share this with you. Okay, I'm done. You know, kind of thing. I love that about him. He has such a heart, and I hope we have that for each other. The, the the understanding, the leading of the Holy Spirit, I think is so important. I can't emphasize that enough as to when to help and when to not. it got to be a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When to say something, when to not say something, when to let it just happen and fall into place, let let the chips fall, you know, or when to save someone from a, a huge disaster. And the Holy Spirit does that for us. And I see that heart in Paul. I've heard a lot of things about you guys. You're doing great. I've also heard that you need a little help. But never once are they out of his mind. I think that's important for all of us, as a, at least as a body of believers here in Maryville, Missouri. I don't care how far away they go or how close they are. We've got a lot of people. We've got some in Oregon, some in California. Some that People just move away. That's just what happens. But pray for them. You know, we're just talking about your graduation. I don't mean to single you out, but... You know, we'll always be praying for you. Maybe not as often as we do right now. You know, but we'll be praying for you guys. We always pray for you guys too in Colorado. Just do. You know, we've got a new church. Doesn't matter. You know. All right, Lord, we thank you for. We thank you for your love for us. You're such a, a good father. You're such a good lord. Um, you're such a good friend. Lord, help us to take on all those attributes ourselves for each other as well. Um, we don't take your place at all. That's not what I mean, but to, to, to have that heart like you have for one another, for us, for each other, not against, not looking for little things, but trying to help any way we can, Lord, their walk or our walks. So Lord, as people come to our minds this week, even tonight, as we fall asleep, People maybe we haven't prayed for in a while, but all of a sudden their mind or their face is coming to, it. we may even not know their name, but the face is there. Help us to follow that prompting of your Holy Spirit to pray for them. We don't have to know what the problem is or, or if there is one even, but we pray blessing upon them and we pray your will upon them and we pray um, for you to uh, be very powerful in their life and for them to have a very clear, beautiful walk with you. And we pray for one another, God. Lord, we thank you for our kids and the blessing that they are to us, but also the blessing they're receiving tonight from all these adults that are, have taken the time to prepare a, a Bible study for them and to share your word in love by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that goes on in that other part of the fellowship. We never want to forget that. We lift up all the teachers to you. We pray that you bless them with strength and with refreshing times with you, Lord, as they pour out. They're going to need to be filled back up again, so I just pray for them. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.